My name is Karen McKinnon. Um, how to describe myself? Well, gosh, do I describe myself in terms of roles? I've got lots of roles. I'm a mum, I'm a wife. Those things are really important to me. I'm a daughter, a sister. Um, my, as a job, I'm also a priest. I'm a chaplain. I'm a manager. Um, and I'm a person that enjoys life, likes a good laugh and a giggle. I love singing. Um, I love life. Yeah. I'm going to ask you something that probably wouldn't have come up in the conversation until halfway through, but just because you've said you love life, is there anything that's challenged you to make you appreciate life more? Yeah, um, lots of things. I mean, first of all, working in a hospital, you're surrounded by death, dying, tragedy. People living happily with their lives one minute and the next minute everything's changed. So that, of course, has, has helped me reflect on life. Um, but personally, I had breast cancer three years ago. Thankfully, I've survived. Um, but it does does affect you. It does change you. And, and, and what came home to me during that illness was the fact, the reality that actually we're not here forever. So I want to make each day count. Now, the reason we're talking today is because you, 25 years ago, were one of the first women to be ordained as a priest in the UK. So can you sort of rewind to 25 years ago and kind of give us context about that time? Gosh, yeah, it feels like another era, another lifetime ago. It was a time when lots of people were exercised about this whole question, should women be ordained or shouldn't they? For me, it was always a no-brainer. Why shouldn't we be ordained? Um, if we believed in equality and if God was calling women into the church, then why shouldn't we be ordained? But it it really um, was quite a hot potato around that time. There was lots of nastiness as well in terms of, you know, in some of the papers it's got, you know, that people felt women should be burned um, for, for wanting to be ordained, burned at the stake. It's almost like archaic. Um, some of the language was very hurtful of women. Um, whereas actually there are an awful lot of good people that saw this as just the right step forward. Um, so it was an exciting time. It was a time, um, yeah, there was a lot, lots of difficulties and challenges, but it was also an exciting time because you felt like you were on the cusp of change, that something was going to change and that you were part of that. And to be part of that, well... That was amazing, and I've always got that, you know. How did you know it's what you wanted to do? I guess it was um, didn't happen overnight. I always felt that God was calling me to something, but I didn't know what. And funnily enough, even at the age of 14, I wasn't even in the Church of England then, and my family are Pentecostals, I was in uh, their church. And I remember sat on the swings outside of school with my mates in the lunchtime, and saying, do you know what, I think I want to marry a vicar. And I couldn't have any concept at that point of, of being a minister myself, because that just wasn't heard of. But even then there was something. Then I went away to university, um, Exeter, I read theology. And whilst I was there, um, a lady at the Pentecostal church um, had heard me talking and she said, I want to introduce you to a retired deaconess. And I went to see this lady, and I can't describe it. She talked about her life's work, how she'd worked with people and the community. 
and it felt like there was a fire inside and I, I kept thinking that's it that's what I want that's what I, that's what I feel is right for me and I went back to my friends who didn't particularly have a faith um, and I said I want to be a deaconess I feel that that's what I want to do and I was really it was like a revelation to me and they were saying well yeah of course you know, we, we always saw you as a Marjorie Proops, you know. People would always come and knock on my door in the middle of the night, you know, <laughs> with the problems and what have you. So they saw that as a natural thing, whereas to me it was a huge revelation. Um, so that's where I suppose that started. It wasn't easy, was it? And you were, one, well, you were the youngest of those 32 women that were ordained that day. You didn't have a career unlike some of them before that, so you haven't got anything to compare it to, but do you think it's how you thought it would be? I don't remember having any clear thoughts about how it would be other than I wanted to get out. The thing that, that really inspired me, it was in the 80s, so it was uh, there was all that uh, emphasis on faith in the cities and helping in the communities. And for me, that's it was a social action. It was the getting down dirty, helping people in deprived communities. And I wanted to be a part of that because I felt that was that was where we should be, loving people where they're at. And I've always felt that. Um, so I suppose that's what drove me. And, and so that was the only vision I had of what it might be. At that point, I don't think I'd fully appreciated just how strongly some people felt against the ordination of women, and I learned that <laughs> pretty soon, pretty quickly. Did that go on after ordination? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was interesting that when we got ordained, the people, ordinary people on the streets would just come up and shake our hands and say congratulations, well done. I went into a pub with a friend shortly afterwards, I was wearing my collar and I saw, heard all these whispers, you know, it's one of them, it's one of those women. Um, and then they came over, these men, and they said, congratulations, this is really good. Women outside the school gates, you know, would be coming up and they'd be talking to us and they'd be telling us about, you know, situations that they'd been involved in that they couldn't talk to a man about, rape, abuse, that kind of thing. So you've got all that going on outside with people who weren't churchgoers, but yet within the church... That's where a lot of the hatred and misogyny, because I can't call it anything else, was going on. Um, you know, people, some men would refuse to shake my hand during the piece. And I remember saying, you know, OK, I accept that you can't recognise that I'm a priest, but accept that I'm a human being and you can, you know, wish me well. But they couldn't do that. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it was some of the women were just as bad. Um, in fact, sometimes they were worse. Um, so, yeah, I'd have issues where I'd go on holiday and I'd try to get cover. And the clergy would say to me, oh, we couldn't possibly come to your church because it's contaminated. And that's the language that was used. There was a lot of talk of theology of taint, and that's any bishop that had tainted themselves by laying hands on a woman. You know, it's just, it's archaic. It's only 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it still happens now? I think it does. I think it's probably less obvious, but I think it does. It's difficult for me to say more now because I don't work in that environment now. I work in an environment where it's all about equality, diversity and inclusivity and that's, yeah, that's where I like working. And that's obviously as a hospital chaplain yeah. here in Southampton. 
So uh, what, what helped you make the switch? What encouraged you to make that switch from church to hospital? Um, I was looking to leave anyway. It was about a natural time for me to believe in the parish. And I saw an advert um, for uh, an, a tra- it was trainee chaplain at the time for someone who hadn't been in chaplaincy before, but as an experienced priest. And there was something about that advert that really struck me. There was opportunity to learn, opportunity to learn things around clinical ethics, to to work in a different environment that I'd never worked in before. And that just really appealed to me. And the other thing, if I'm honest, was also the thought of working in a team. It was so lonely working as a parish priest. I had I worked with the local headmistress and the... Um, social development worker and we we got to be quite pally but I they went home at the end of the day and I was the only one left on on this estate with quite a lot of needs um and it was very difficult to to have mates really and to but to be part of a team and one of the first things when I was offered the job at Southampton um I remember the the team leader there saying you know congratulations you've got the job and I put the phone down and my first thought was, thank goodness I'm not going to be on my own anymore. I think it'll come as quite a surprise to some people that as the vicar of a church, you didn't feel like you had a community around you. Because mm-hmm. on the surface, it looks like there's lots of people helping. Mm-hmm. And I think traditionally as well, the vicar had a vicar's wife, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. To help. Yeah. Did, did you get, where did you get your support from then when you were in the church? And, and probably now as a chaplain at the hospital? Yeah. Um, Back then, apart from my husband and one or two people in the church, um, there wasn't any support. I don't remember having any at all. I felt very much on my own. Uh, There were a group of us women that first got ordained and we'd meet together every now and again. But basically, most of us were really struggling with lack of support. where do I get my support now? Um, still from my family. It's always been Colin and now my son as well. Um, but also through a team of colleagues. You know, when you come up the stairs in the chaplaincy office after you've had a really difficult patient visit um, and dealt with something that's really difficult, like suicide or death, or people's just wading through people's tragedies, actually all you've got to say is, oh, it was ex or a baby funeral and without having to say any more you know your colleagues know exactly what it's like um so yeah we support each other a lot what kind of reactions do you get from patients within the hospital i imagine there's a variety of reactions yeah but you know what mostly positive i think i can count on one hand any negative and usually it's been because they've they've been misunderstanding or or whatever but mostly really really positive and people are just so very grateful for so little it's so humbling sometimes you'll have sat there and you're not really sure what you've done but they will be so appreciative that you cared and you turned up and you were just there for them Um, and that's yeah that's a huge privilege is it possible for you to be off duty yes much more so than as a parish priest. I know when I'm on duty and when I'm not. And when I get in the car, as long as I'm not on call, I know that that's my downtime, I'm home. And that's the advantage as well. I hated living in a vicarage. I felt like I was in a goldfish bowl because you felt like you were accessible day and night all the time. And that's 
I know that's why vicarages are there in the parish, but actually it's not very good for self-care. Um, so here I feel very much that I can get in the car, come home, and I'm Karen, and I haven't got people knocking the door. And if somebody does call me up because I, I'm the manager, it's an emergency. It's not, you know, can you tell me the time of the jumble sale? Or you know, I know you've never seen me before in my life, but you're cheap. Can you sign my passport? You know. <laughs> So, you know, it really is somebody that needs you. <laughs> when you're in the car, do you sing? Yes, frequently. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what passers by must think. I, I'm in a rock choir and um we download the songs to rehearse, so I've got them in the car, that's where I learn them. So on the way to and from work, I'm singing at the top of my voice. <laughs> um and yeah, sometimes people do give me strange looks. This might be the right time to ask when you do and when you don't wear a dog collar. <laughs> well, I um, yeah, I wear a collar when I'm working and I don't wear it when I'm at home. Contrary to popular belief, one nurse asked me once, seriously, she said, do you wear your dog collar in bed? Really? <laughs> no! <laughs> You're more or less tolerant now than you were 25 years ago, more or less forgiving than you were 25 years ago. <laughs> I'm less tolerant now. I, I think I've become a grumpy old woman. <laughs> I am less tolerant of of attitudes of some people. You know, um, just reading in the Church Times, reading back how it was in 1994, some of the letters, you know, uh, of people and their feelings about the ordination of women, those that are anti, and they're trying to dress it up as theology when actually it's sheer misogyny and they haven't even thought it through. It's just prejudice. I'm not tolerant anymore. I used to bend over backwards to try and accommodate. But actually, do you know what? If they don't agree with it, then why aren't they in the Church of England? Because the Church of England ordains women. If you don't like it, tough, go somewhere else. <laughs> oh dear, did I just say <laughs> Still recording. <laughs> uh, but, but the Church of England ordains women, so... I don't, I don't like I don't like the fact that it almost feels like there are two identities that you can be in the Church of England and have an alternative bishop if you don't like the idea of women priests. That to me undervalues, devalues our ministry. Um, and I do feel that if that's not your belief, if you don't believe in women priests, then then go somewhere else that the Church of England isn't the place for you. There's lots of other places that will welcome you and that's fine. But you wouldn't have a hospital that, that is full of male-only doctors. That's not the real world. So why is the church doing that still? So I still feel there's a bit of a way to go. Now, when you were a vicar in a parish, did you have any moments that were memorable for either the right or wrong reasons? I'm sure you've had experiences. Are there any you'd like to share? <laughs> That'd be telling, wouldn't it? Um, the funeral directors had phoned me up, as they do, telling me that I'd got a funeral. Um, and I phoned up the family and said who I was. <laughs> I'll never forget this bloke. He seemed to have forgotten that I could hear what he was saying and he shouts to the rest of the family... The vicar's on the phone. It's a woman. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, 
so it was it was quite a novelty. Do you think the Vicar of Dibley helped or hindered oh, your cause? She absolutely, absolutely helped our cause. For the first time, people were laughing with her, not at the vicar. Um, she made us accessible people. I mean, actually, I mean, I've often been called the vicar of Dibley. When I was in the hospice, I'd supported um, a dying lady and her husband had come up to the main desk, the reception, and he hadn't noticed that I was sitting there writing in notes. And he said to the, the ward clerk, he said, can I, can I have an appointment for my wife, please, with the vicar of Dibley? I can't remember her name. <laughs> and everybody knew exactly who he was talking about. So she did us a huge... Uh, I'm a great fan of Dawn French. She did us a huge favour. With the journey you've been through over the last 25 years, was there ever any occasion where you thought, I'm done, I've had enough? There have been quite a few occasions when I felt that. You know, you look back and you think, why did I do that? There were other careers, other jobs I could have done. Um, And yes, there were, but this was the path that life took me down. Um, May not be forever. Who knows what's there ahead? Don't know. Um, But yeah, there have been moments... There have been more. I think they probably have for most people in whatever job you have, to be honest. Um, but funnily enough, that hasn't happened in chaplaincy. And again, I think it's because there's a good balance with self-care. There's a much better work-life balance. And I think that helps not living on the job. Um I've forgotten the original question now. Was there ever a time where you thought, I'm done? Yeah. I think there was early on, for various reasons, there was. Life wasn't easy. Um, And it was usually lack of support from other clergy. Um, And you think, why am I putting myself through this when I don't need to? Um... And there was a lot of insecurity, I think, with, with some clergy. Uh, and insecurity on the part of vicars' wives as well. Um, for many, they'd been almost the unpaid curate. Not all of them. But um, my second curacy, I did two curacies, my second curacy was wonderful. You know, priest was, was very supportive. His wife was, she had a, a life of her own and a career of her own, which is brilliant. And she was lovely too. Um but that when I went on interview for jobs, I remember one vicar's wife, she interviewed me. I couldn't get over that. She actually interviewed me and she's, her first comment was, I suppose you'd be one of these people that call God she, won't you? And I just looked at her and I thought, there's no way I'm coming here, you know, and tell who rules the roost here. <laughs> she was clearly very threatened. Um, and that was, it was quite hard to understand at the time. Yeah. And then with your, I'm thinking about challenges in faith because that must have challenged you, what you've just shared there. Mm. And then with your illness just a few years ago, how do you manage your thoughts, emotions, responses to something like breast cancer? How does how do you juggle faith with reality? Um, I think. Illness is part of life and 
I think life is much more complicated than I ever thought it was when I was younger. Things aren't black and white, they're very grey. Um, I think early on I used to be a bit more rigid in my thinking, I'm not anymore. I think when you've lived a bit and you've seen a bit of life, um, things don't fit easily and, and I, I think I've always struggled with faith and doubt and belief. Um, and you know what, I think that's been a strength as a chaplain because I can identify with those who struggle to have a faith or don't believe at all. That's not such a huge leap for me. Um, as well as being able to support those that are, that do have a faith, sorry. Um, and I think, oh, I don't know, I think the church, whatever church it is, can become quite precious about its beliefs, its rituals, its traditions. And for me, God, whoever, whatever God is, is bigger than religion, bigger than church. That's what we do as human beings to try and contain something that is actually uncontainable. Do you have a favourite verse? Now I ask you, do you have a favourite verse? And I'm not expecting a conventional answer. Don't know why that is. <laughs> do you have a favourite verse, Karen? Um, I have thought about this. I mean, obviously there are verses that, that I like. I'm more used to quoting Lord of the Rings than, <laughs> than I am the Bible. <laughs> Um, I suppose one verse that is um, means a lot to me is that it's a bit about um, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's very core to my day job. Um, the other bit is love one another as you love yourself. And I think loving yourself is something that that I've had to learn and looking after myself and that that's not bad and I think a lot of ministers need to learn self-care um, and one other one because just because it's joyful it's that bit about you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you you know it's something about nature and and the wonder of the universe and the colour and the joy and and I think working in an environment where there is a lot of sadness, there is a lot of darkness, a lot of it is sitting at the foot of the cross with people. It's so important to have that balance, that contrast outside of that to keep me sane, really. You might not agree that I'm sane, but... <laughs> I'm not going to pass comment on that. Just one last thing. 25 years since you were ordained as a priest in the Church of England, along with 31 other women, would you recommend it as a career choice? Man, to a man or a woman? Um, yes, I, yes. I, well, I'd certainly recommend chaplaincy. I don't feel I can really comment on parish ministry now because it's been so long. I've been out of it for 18 years. Um, so I'm not really sure what that's like anymore. But certainly chaplaincy, I think it's a really rewarding rewarding ministry um 
you're working with people of all different professions, different skills, abilities, different beliefs and views. But actually what unites us all is you're trying to do the best that you can for the patient. And I love that sense of working together. I don't think I wouldn't want to do the job on my own. I think you need somebody else to actually come back who understands, but also somebody who's got a black sense of humour as well and can, can see the funny side of things, even in the middle of it all. Um, you actually so. mentioned sense of humour earlier when we were chatting. You said, God must have a sense of humour to have put me in a hospital. <laughs> can you explain that? I'm not very good with bodily fluids at all. <laughs> I've got a very queasy stomach. <laughs> And when patients say to me, because sometimes they do, they'll say, would you want to look at my wound? Oh, no, absolutely not, you know. Um, And I'm the first person to to run away and throw a vomit bowl in the direction. If they say they feel sick, I'm saying, I'll just get a nurse for you. It's not me at all. (laughs) And I don't like germs. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing in the hospital, really. (laughs) Bertie Prayers, a Watchware Media Production.